Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. Most of us have been in a history class or a political science class that has taught us about propaganda. Government leaders throughout history have used biased or misleading information to promote their particular political point of view. When we study propaganda in a class, we tend to think that it is something primarily from the past or something that governments across the sea participate in. More and more, however, we're realizing that propaganda is widespread across the globe, not isolated to one dictator or one nation. It seems that every news headline, every social media link, and every comment from a politician must be vetted to determine its accuracy and reliability. The presence of biased or misleading information, however, is not just found in secular governments. Even within the church, we encounter misinformation and distraction that takes our focus away from the truth found in Jesus and his word. In the early church of the first century AD, the Christians of Colossae were in danger of being misled. They were being encouraged to adopt beliefs and religious practices based on false views about Christ. In our passage for this week in Colossians chapter 2, Paul will address such false philosophies. As we will soon see, he will call the body of Christ, that is the church, to never lose connection with its head, Jesus Christ himself. So let's begin by reading Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you drink or eat or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God has caused it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Christians of the first century were well known for practicing what the ancient world called moral exhortation. Many New Testament letters urge people to live uh, ethically commendable lives. The question that the Apostle Paul is addressing in Colossians chapter 2 is where does the Christian ethic come from? Or more simply, how are Christians supposed to live and where do they find out how to live? To answer these questions, Paul begins with these words from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In verse 6, Paul speaks of a past decision and a present condition. First, let me say a few words about the past decision. Paul reminds the church in Colossae of their past decision to receive Christ. People in the church today often speak of receiving Christ. The idea comes straight from the word of God. It speaks of a specific moment in the life of sinners when they repent and believe on Jesus for, the salva for their salvation. People don't just become Christians by birth into a Christian family or by osmosis. They must be reborn by the spirit of God. Jesus referred to this moment when talking with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John said, Yet to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. The power for Christian living or living the Christian ethic begins when a sinner repents, believes, and as Paul said, receives Jesus. In that moment of receiving Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes his home in the new believer. The very presence of God's Spirit gives the ability to walk in a new way. Notice, however, that there's not just a past decision. There's a present condition. Paul said in verse 6, continue to live your lives in him. This statement confirms that the Colossian church is already living in Jesus. Paul encourages them to continue to live in this way. Here's the point. Christian ethics are emphatically Christ-centered. It's impossible to live the life that God has laid out for his people without, ver without the very presence of Jesus living in and through us. It is only possible for those who have received him. It's only possible for those who continue to live in him. Jesus Christ is Lord and the source of their and our new way of life. Clearly, the call is not just to a one-time decision, but to a life lived daily in Jesus. As a pastor, I have officiated many, many weddings. I never officiated a wedding that I did not also engage the couple in at least three premarital counseling sessions. The engaged couple often wanted to talk with me about their wedding plans, the order of the service, their vows, and the details of the big day. These details are, of course, very important, but I would quickly reveal that we had a wedding coordinator who would work with them on their wedding day. I was planning to spend our time talking not about their wedding day, but about their marriage, the untold number of days following that one special day. Paul is saying here that the Colossian believers have received Christ that one big day, but must continue to live in him, that is, the rest of their lives. The way we continue to live in Jesus is described in further detail in verse 7. First, we are to be rooted and built up in him. Roots imply that we are to go deeper and deeper in relationship with Christ. I recently heard someone say that he had met his wife on an online Christian dating app. He said that he had read all about her in the online description. Then, teasingly, he said that when they met for the first time in person, he knew everything there was to know about her. Relationships don't work like that, do they? To continue to live in Jesus is to grow deeper and deeper in relationship each day. You see, we are being strengthened in the faith as we continue to walk in him. Finally, if we're to continue to walk in him, we are to be overflowing with thankfulness. Due to the blessing of being reconciled with God, what joy we have. Our lives are to be marked with the spirit of thankfulness. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 turns to the challenges facing the church in Colossae. There were people teaching what Paul called a 
hollow and deceptive philosophy. The word philosophy is derived from two Greek words, which literally mean love of wisdom. The basic question of philosophy concerns the relationship between thought and being. The study of philosophy invites a person to explore not only physical realities, but also spiritual realities. Paul's not against philosophical thinking, but against hollow and deceptive philosophies. He does not give a lot of details about the specific teaching in this case, but we do learn three basic issues in Colossians chapter 2. The hollow and deceptive teaching depended first upon human tradition. Teachers in Colossae insisted that practices of self-discipline were needed to keep the body in check. Do this, don't do that. Do these practices and you will have full control of your body. These were human traditions that tended to distort and distract believers from the message of Christ and living in the freedom that he has given and in his holiness. The errant teaching, second, also depended upon the elemental spiritual forces. The context of the letter to the Colossians suggests that the false teachers in Colossae may have started to worship supernatural beings or angels with a desire to become a more spiritual person. Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. The bottom line is that such philosophies downplay Christ and God's work in Christ, which leads Paul to his main point. Third, the hollow and deceptive teachings are philosophies that did not depend on Christ. Anything that distracts the believer from Jesus is dangerous to our faith. A question for us to consider today is how can we avoid being taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy? Let me suggest just a few basic ideas to help us. First, saturate yourself in the word of God and prayer. Jesus is never going to lead you into a belief that is not found in the word of God. Trust God's revelation in the Holy Scriptures. Second, John Wesley spoke about a four-sided approach for believers to consider in Christian belief and practice, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Scripture has authority and is the foundation for all of our beliefs. At the same time, scripture is to be read in light of tradition, experience, and reason. Scripture is not to be interpreted in a vacuum, alone in our room, only through the lens of the individual reading it. This idea leads to my third suggestion for us, test our thoughts and the teachings we hear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I love what the scripture says about the church in Berea. Now, the Berean Jews 
were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. If you start hearing people talk about science, nature, and culture more than they do about Christ, this is a sign that the teaching is hollow and deceptive. In recent days, I've heard a theologian say, science is on our side, and culture is moving us this way, so the church needs to get up with the times. Run from such deceptive philosophies of our day that do not center on Jesus, the living word, and on scripture, the written word. In verse 9, we find a beautiful reference for us in the midst of our Advent season. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. For Paul and for early Christian ethics, everything began with the core reality of the incarnation, God becoming man. Any system for defining what Christian living looks like in daily action must look to Jesus because all of the fullness of God lives in Christ. Remember from last week, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And if you want to know how Christians are intended to live, look at Jesus. In the verses that follow, Paul discusses the initiation rites into Judaism and ultimately into Christianity. Circumcision was the most important mark of Jewish identity in antiquity. Young Jewish males were traditionally circumcised on the eighth day after their birth as a sign that they were included in the covenant. The eighth day was chosen because the child had experienced at least one Sabbath day. Technically, as you can see from this tradition, only men could be true Jews. In the first century, women were regarded as a part of the covenant only through their relationship with a circumcised male usually their father, and then their husband. For Christians, water baptism, not circumcision, became the sign of entry into the covenant with God. By the blood of Jesus, all people, men or women, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, were enabled to become full members of the Christian community through baptism. Baptism for Paul was a physical reenactment of the death and resurrection of Jesus and God's work of salvation in Christ. By immersing the believer into the baptismal waters, that person is buried with Christ and has died with him. As a believer is raised out of those waters, this person is also raised alive or in newness of life. We must take a moment to look at the words of Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. Notice that Paul came, that God came to man in the person of Jesus. God didn't wait until we were cleaned up to accept us. He came to us when we were dead in our sin. It was there in the midst of our sin that Christ saved us, made us alive in Jesus. 
The initiative of salvation was and still is from God. That's why we call it grace. Paul recognized this fact when he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Are you getting the meaning of this passage from Colossians chapter 2? Everything revolves around our relationship with Jesus. Paul concludes this passage by pointing to the Jewish notion of achievement. For too many, the greatest satisfaction in life is found in the feeling of superiority, especially religious superiority. For the Jews of Paul's day, rigid observance of dietary laws and careful observance of all dates on the religious calendar were points of great pride. Those who did not practice their full observance were looked down upon. While the Old Testament laws had legitimate functions with their original context, within their original context, for Christians, their significance has been neg negated by the work of Christ. For Christians, the ceremonial and ritual laws of the Old Testament hold no continuing re relevance on the literal level. Paul said they are a shadow of what was to come in Christ. The real thing is Jesus. Of course, it's important to note that Jewish persons are not the only people who wish to feel religiously superior. Christians can be lured into indulging in the same impulses to feel spiritually superior. The letter to the Colossians warns Christians who have lost connection with the head that is Christ. No list of rules can ever truly transform the heart, the human heart. A person can follow all the rules and still be internally consumed by all manner of evil. Only Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection can bring forgiveness of sins and freedom from the bondage of sin. Paul's main criticism of the false teachers of Colossae was that they had lost connections with Christ. That's not a far from the message to the church in Ephesus found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You see, only by staying connected with Christ can we remain spiritually alive. As you journey through Advent this year, how is your living relationship with Jesus? Would you say that you are fully alive in him, growing daily deeper and deeper in Jesus, connected to the head, living a life of thanksgiving? If not, listen to the angel who spoke to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Consider, he said, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Advent is about God coming to us in Christ for our salvation. Jesus is coming to you today. Will you welcome him? Will you receive him? Will you continue to live in him?
Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.